Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff, and one of the shepherds here, and uh, we are going to jump right into one of the first of three songs that we're covering through Luke over the Christmas season. Uh, Luke has a series of these things that we have referred to over time as songs. In this case, it says that Mary said it, but over time, the Magnificat has been sung many, many times and put into music. And so today, we start the first of three, and then next week, we're going to be doing Zechariah's song, and then uh, the next week will be the angel's song. So this is number one of beginning this Advent series of taking a look at the, the kind of the nativity songs of Luke. And as we jump in, um, this whole concept of, of what happens with the Magnificat, this, this word that's used of this thing that Mary said, those verses right at the tail end of the scripture, uh, that word Magnificat is the, the Latin and it means to magnify. So that's the very first thing that Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord. And so with that, when we look at that word magnify in Latin, that's all it is. So it's not any more complicated than that. It's not even more spiritual than that. It is just simply that word that is used. However, the Magnificat has been around for a while. So as early as the 5th century, it was already becoming part of church tradition, that churches would sing it and both everything from Greek Orthodox to uh, Catholic churches to Presbyterian to Baptist, all kinds have different traditions. It's been sung at Vespers. It's been sung at Evensong. It's been sung at Matins. It's been sung in Compline services. So much so that experts believe that from about the 5th century on, the Magnificat has been sung almost daily since the 5th century. That's pretty crazy that the words that Mary says on this day were recorded and then passed on and that we still enjoy them to this day. So that's just cool. It's just one of those things that it's a heritage that has been passed to us that even this morning we take a look and get a chance to, to, to um, study it and get a peek at it. I want to say one quick word, though, because as we talk about Mary, that sometimes we have a tendency to say, well, there are some faiths that lift Mary up and make her almost sinless, that she's immaculate, that she she is a saint in and of herself where Mary has done no wrong. And because of that, we as evangelicals, we tend to push Mary down and actually sort of disqualify her a bit. We kind of want to, you know, cover the gap. So to swing the pendulum the other way, we almost don't talk about Mary because we don't want to over inflate who Mary is. And I want you to know that what we're doing right now, what we just had in this situation is the angel Gabriel has come and had a conversation with Mary and said, oh, favored one. That this idea is that God thinks Mary is pretty cool. So we've got to just at least accept that. We don't want to make her immaculate that she's never sinned, but neither do we want to tear her down or diminish her in any regard. So as we look at this, we're going to look at a a pretty cool young lady and what she does with uh, these words is, is amazing. 
I want to put it in context. You just heard part of that first part of the story go, but Gabriel the angel has already come to Zechariah and Zechariah was a priest who got the opportunity to go in and offer up the incense inside the temple. And in that process, Gabriel is waiting inside to meet him. And Gabriel tells Zechariah that in his old age, he and Elizabeth are going to have a child and that child is going to be the the four um runner for Jesus, that it is going to be John the Baptist. And so he tells Zechariah that. Zechariah doesn't believe. He becomes mute. Remember that whole story? That's coming. We'll talk about that more next week. But the bottom line is, is as that whole thing lays out, Gabriel comes and talks to a man about what is about to happen. And then six months later, Gabriel comes back and has a conversation with Mary. And in that conversation with Mary, we just read it. That conversation, he then says, this whole thing is coming. The Messiah is coming. And then Mary at that point, as as you look at it, in verse uh, 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country where her cousin Elizabeth lived. So she, as soon as the angel's done, she gets up with haste and goes to where Elizabeth is. So the context at this point in time is that, is that Gabriel has shown up twice and that Mary herself is living in Nazareth, which if you remember later on, Jesus, uh, the, the word of Jesus comes to the disciples early on and that the Messiah might be around. And so Nathaniel stops, hears about it and says, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? In other words, it's a poor kind of trashy town. It's not a good place to be from. This is where Mary's from, right? That makes sense. She's mom of Jesus. They're from the same town. Surprise. So at that point, as, as Mary is from this just poor town, we know that tradition comes back and says for her to be betrothed to Joseph means she's a, she's a teenager at best. She's very young. Some have estimated 13, maybe 14 years old. That oftentimes, like in the second service, this side of the church is filled with teenagers. Imagine one of those is Mary. That it's a teenage girl who's poor from a kind of a, just a, a backwoods town. And that at that point in time, it's this, this girl that the angel appears to and has this conversation, comes to a woman from Nazareth, young teenager. And then Gabriel says to her, oh, favored one. That's just a great line. Oh, favored one. This idea that that Mary's favored. Now, I know that right off the bat, and some of you, how many of you have been parents? You know, that kind of thing. Or how many of you have had parents? Yeah, that's probably, we got everybody that way, but, uh, pretty much you've had parents and we talk about this whole thing of, are you your parents favorite or do you as parents have a favorite? And we always say this thing, well, no, no, that can't be, you know, parents don't do favorites, but, uh, parents do have a favorite child. And if they tell you you, that they don't, that just means it's not you. That's the way that goes. So Mary gets this part that it says, oh, favored one. This is literally, this concept is, is that God's looking at 
Mary and recognizing this. By the way, it does say that, that God, um, in Romans 2.11, it says that God shows no partiality. And so in many cases, we take that to mean that there's no favorites with God. Literally, the Romans passage is talking about this idea that there's no partiality, that if you sin, that, that, that evil things you do evil, evil things will come upon you. If you do good, good things come upon you. And that God shows no partiality for anybody that there are consequences. So you will study that later some other day. But this idea is what we have in scripture is that God himself says that Mary is a favored one. Why? Why is this young girl favored from God? And you can almost re, uh, reverse engineer this idea of what we know about Mary at this time by, by the Magnificat, by what she says and what she does, how she responds to the angel because Zechariah didn't believe the angel and Mary did. And then Mary gives these words in the Magnificat and in that process we get to peek into how she thought And what's happening with her? What we do if we reverse engineer what we know about Mary is that first and foremost, God chose her and said this about her, that you are favored and that she knew God, that she had a relationship with God. She trusted him. She believed him and she believed in God and God was pleased with that. In fact, that reverse engineering idea of backing into what we know about Mary is that in Hebrews eleven six 6, that, that whole thing, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if God is pleased with Mary, what does that say about Mary? That she has faith. That she is a young woman of deep faith. That's what we know. That God is pleased with her. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Mary's faith is recognized by God in heaven. That's pretty cool. God is pleased. So first point for this morning. Mary knows God. Mary has faith in God. Mary believes in God. Mary knows about even the prophecies of the coming Savior. Mary knows scripture. She knows her word. Mary knows God. And God knows Mary. That's just a great thing to say. Don't you want that to be said of you? That you know God and God knows you? And Mary knows her Bible. In fact, the Magnificat, what I love about it is uh, you go to find those... uh, those cross references to this passage to say, did she pull this from some other passage? And she never does it, not word for word. There's not a a verse that she quotes. So many times in scripture, they quote from Isaiah, they quote from Psalms. Mary doesn't do that. What she does is she takes the concepts that are all throughout scripture and she weaves them together to be theologically sound. As a teenager, she knows her Old Testament well enough to put together this song. And it is, it is perfect. The theology is all there. And in that process, it tells us that she knows scripture. That means she has been in church. There are no podcasts. She doesn't own a Bible. There is not a situation where she has that ability to, to be, even as a woman, be studying the text the way Jewish boys might. But she knows it. That means she's listening to it when her family talks about it in the home. When they go to the synagogue, she's paying attention. She's internalizing it and she says it back and it comes out as good theology. This is a good reason to go to church. So for those of you who are here, well done. 
You know, because this is the thing where you, you should be hearing theology. You should be reading scripture. You should be pursuing God in that way. And this first one is, is that Mary knows God because she's done just that. The cool thing about this idea that Mary knows God and God knows Mary is there's something happening when Gabriel comes in and says, hey, this, in fact, let's look at it for just a second. Uh, coming back to this uh, verse 28 and uh, he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In Gabriel saying, I've been sent to you because you've found favor with God. This is what's known as secondhand compliments. I don't know if you know about secondhand compliments, but this is something a, a Christian writer years and years ago writing. Uh, he was a pastor, wrote books about marriage. He talked about the fact that we as men, one of the best things we should be doing is handing out secondhand compliments. The idea is, is that I can tell somebody they're wonderful, they're great, they're very nice. And that if I say that to their face, we expect that, that we say nice things to each other. That's a good thing. It's about character. But what really stands out is when we're so moved by that person's character and their personality and the things we like about them, that we talk about them when they're not around, when we have a conversation, when that person isn't even here. So for example, earlier this week, when we were setting up for the the Christmas party on Friday night, there was a point where staff were volunteering, jumping in all over the place, doing different things. And at this point, Patty Mullins walks into a room and she goes up to where a Christmas tree is. And there were, it was a fake artificial tree and the limbs were all smashed down. And she started fluffing that tree automatically. We were towards the end of the day. We were having lunch. We were tired. And Patty Mullins is just going off. In fact, the person next to me stops and says, Patty Mullins has to be the very best tree fluffer we have. (laughs) And here we are talking about Patty and her gift of tree fluffing. That's a secondhand compliment. We're talking about the fact that she continues to do work while the rest of us ate. Now we can talk about Elise who just did this special needs program and how wonderful that program was. If you came, you, you probably moved to tears like me. It's just a beautiful program, but it's done by her and other volunteers who just go and go. Or I can talk about my wife, Eugenie, and how beautiful she is and how wonderful she is. And how I'm just amazed that she sets her her week aside just about how to minister to other people. People she calls back in Seattle. People she has over for lunch. Even the grandkids that she does FaceTime with that go on and on for like 20 minutes on one story that I cannot possibly stand. (laughs) That's not my favorite. I have favorites. She will sit there and listen to that entire story. That's how wonderful she is. All of those are secondhand compliments. Do you understand with Mary, the conversation about her is happening in heaven between God and Gabriel? That's awesome. They're talking about Mary in heaven. That's awesome. And God sends Gabriel and says, Gabriel, I need you to go down and tell her these things. And that's part of what's happening. Mary knows God and God knows Mary. I love that part. That it's just this beautiful thing of what happens. 
So much so, though, that even in the middle of this, Mary and who she is, is also humble in this part. That as she knows God, she sees herself in context of who God is. She humbles herself and, and she stops and she, the, the first words when she runs to Elizabeth to tell her what's happened, her first words, she stops and she's not talking about herself. She flips it. And begins to talk about God. Listen in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The first thing she does is she goes to Mary. Mary stops and says, wow, this is wonderful that you've come to visit me. I would expect that if it were me, the very next words out of my mouth would be, Elizabeth, you'll never guess what happened. God was talking to angels about me. God sent angels to me. God told me that I was his favorite or a favored one. That's what I would say. I would say that's awesome. The first words Mary says is, my soul magnifies him. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. That's what we get to know about Mary in the middle of this. Now, this whole thing of what we say about ourselves, um, we all tend to embellish. If we're telling a story that involves us, we, we just put a little better light on a little sheen on it. Mary doesn't do that. There's a passage in Matthew 23 And if you got your Bibles, you can flip over there. But in Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is tucked into that whole section about the woes. And when he's saying, woe to you. But in verse 5 of chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus says about these individuals, they do all of their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries, and that's where they'd have a small piece of scripture onto a little box on their forehead. You've probably seen uh, Orthodox Jews wear those. But for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And the the, um, scarves, the aprons they would wear, the garments they would wear, they would not cut the corners. And so they would make the, the fringes long because by that it was supposed to signify that they were more righteous than anybody else because their fringes were long. Well, literally this word, they make their fringes long. The word long there is magnificat in Latin or in our language is they magnify their fringes. This is what we do when we try to point and embellish ourselves. When we try to say, look how wonderful I am. When we're in the presence of God, when we're talking about God, and we want to talk about how wonderful we are, it's like making our fringes long. That's literally the same word. Mary doesn't make her fringes long. She points to God. That's just a really cool thing. So as we do this and we jump in, the first thing we know is that Mary knows God. The second one is that Mary magnifies God. So we're going to read the Magnificat again one more time. Um, Not the whole passage, just simply verses 46 uh, to 55. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy 
is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What Mary has just done is she points to two things about herself and 16 about God. Now, I don't imagine any of you wrote those down and noticed that. But the first two things she says is my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So she says, this is what I do. I point towards God. And then what she does next is she points towards God. These are the 16 and you don't have to write them down. They're right there in the Magnificat, but I'm going to read them really quick. First one is he says, he has seen me for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So that first one is he has seen me. Number two, he is mighty. Number three, he has done great things. Four, he is holy. He is merciful. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has sent away the rich. He has helped Israel. He has remembered. He has spoke to our fathers. He spoke to Abraham and he spoke to his offspring forever. That what Mary is doing in this point is she's showing up to Elizabeth and she wants to talk about God. That's cool. God's up there talking about Mary with Gabriel, sends down Gabriel to say, oh, favored one, you've been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And in that, she doesn't fully understand it, but she gets a picture of it. And when she runs to her cousin Elizabeth, the thing she wants to talk about isn't her. It's about God. It's about who he is in the middle, in the middle of this. My soul magnifies the Lord is our second one. Mary knows God. Mary magnifies God. She places herself in context, realizing if I'm in the presence of this God, then she says, he's lifted up. He's seen me in my humble estate, the humble estate of my ser- of, of his servant, that both humility and the, so the word servant is doulos. It means bond slave. That's how Mary sees herself with God. In that context, she humbles herself and then she gives praise to God. Her soul magnifies, her spirit rejoices. That's the third one. So three points. Mary knows God, Mary magnifies God, and that Mary rejoices in God. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And this, by the way, when other faiths talk about Mary being immaculate, that she never sinned, Mary doesn't see it that way. Mary literally says, this is my savior. I need a savior. She doesn't see herself as perfect, not needing one. She literally says, this is my savior who's come. And so at that point, Mary rejoices because of everything that's there. Now, I just have to stop and point out that in, um, 
And what she does in these first two, that Mary magnifies God and that Mary rejoices, uh, these are the very first, the question in the Westminster Greater Catechism. I don't know if you know much about it, but there was a point in time where Christianity came together and said, we need to just solidify what our faith is. What is our theology? How do, I, how do we teach the next generations of what it is we believe? And so they created the Westminster Greater Catechism. Some people know the Shorter Catechism. But the way they would do it is they'd put out questions and the question would be, what is the chief end of man? First question. And then students of the catechism would say the chief end of man is to. Yeah, some of you know it. It's a little weak out there. You obviously didn't go to that catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now that was 1649. When that was written, this is Mary 1600 years earlier, literally saying the chief end of Mary is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is cool. This, this little teenage girl is a theologian that theologians later model their theology after what she has said because she knows God and God favors her. So Mary knows God, Mary magnifies God, and Mary rejoices. There's a good hint there that maybe this is something we do. I want to point out a couple of other quick things in the passage, and then we're going to turn the corner and wrap up. But the, one of them is there's three things that are said about what she knows about God. And this one pops out in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him. Now, what I love about it is Mary threads a needle here. That she nails three attributes of God, which are the three attributes of God that said that God himself says, you should know this about me. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah um, chapter nine. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, in verse 24, God is saying, don't boast in your riches, don't boast in your might, don't boast in your wisdom. If you boast in anything, and that's where we're going to jump in at verse 24. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, that's the mercy, justice, and righteousness, that's the holiness. That literally the things that Mary talks about are the things that God says, this is what I wished you all knew. That if you want to boast in anything, boast that you know me, God. And these three things, Mary places right in the middle of the Magnificat. She lays it out that way. She also refers to it an upside down kingdom. In verse 52, we know that Jesus talks about that. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the things of the world are going to go away. It's the things of heaven and they're all upside down. Um, the Beatitudes talks about this. She does it in verse 52, that he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. So the mighty go down and the exalted ones are those of humble estate. And then in the, the next 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And finally, as this happens, um, she believes that God speaks to Israel and to her and to you. I want you to look at this. In the very 54 and 55, Mary says he has helped his servant Israel. We know that to be true. And in remembrance of his mercy, 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And this whole idea, this comes from Galatians 3.29. And in Galatians 3.29 is that we covered this just a few months ago, but it says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So you can just say, well, that's an interesting phrase that she's talking about Abraham's offspring. And then in Galatians, Paul mentions Abraham's offspring. But what it says in context here is that he has helped his servant Israel as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That says that God is still speaking to us. This isn't something that just happened to Mary 2,000 years ago. This is Mary saying, literally, this God that remembered to speak to Abraham, that spoke to our fathers, that spoke to her, will speak to Abraham's offspring. And if you are heirs of Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. He speaks to us. Mary is talking about us. That's magnificent. That's something to rejoice in. So Mary knows God. Mary magnifies God. And Mary rejoices in everything about what God is bringing through his Messiah. So here's the challenge. We can talk about it and go, that's wonderful. Now we know that song, the Magnificat. That's great. But this Christmas, I want to challenge you to be like Mary. To do these three things. Number one, get to know God this Christmas. Now you may stop and say, well, I sort of already know him and, you know, I know of him. I've gone to church. I've heard of people talk about God. Well, so there was a, I've told this story before, but I used to work at Hume as the Hume Lake Christian Camps, a youth camp up in the mountains. And I was the executive director at the time running the camp when one summer, uh, early summer, the summer hadn't actually started, but the camps hadn't started to come, but we had brought in our summer staff. And I was out swimming with the family and with a bunch of other staff. But as it got later in the afternoon, it was time to close down the pool. So I was pulling the pool covers over and there was one staff member who came in with a towel. He was a summer staffer who had just arrived. And he says, oh, you don't need to pull those over. I'm going to jump into the pool and swim. And I said, no, the pool's closed. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to swim. I'll take care of it. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. The pool is closed now. And so I kept pulling it closed. And he says, sir, I, I, I just don't think you know who I am, but I'm on summer staff and I'll take care of this. And I said, young man, I'm sorry, I don't think you know who I am. I am your new boss and the pool's closed. And I didn't want to do that in smugness, but it was the issue that he felt like, oh, I know things. And it's like, you don't know enough, right? But that's the way it is with God right now. Whatever we think we know, we're talking about an infant God who can be better known. This Christmas, don't just let these songs go by. Think about the lyrics, dive into scripture, set aside time where you get to know God more. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing just their name. Don't just know God's name. Get to know him. Boast in this, that you know and understand him. Read scripture, pray, set aside time to listen, obey when he speaks, get to know him. So number one, know God. Number two, magnify him. 
Now, let's talk about this. We've talked about this whole Magnificat and that it means magnify, and we haven't really talked about that concept. So as we talk about how we should magnify him, I want to point out one thing. If you're thinking about magnifying glass, this is not the idea. This idea of magnify is to enlarge. So if we pull out a magnify glass and we look at something small, it, it does magnify it, but that's not what we're talking about. So to illustrate this, I brought in a little jar of bed bugs. And these are from Seattle. And uh, I, when I worked at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, we would literally shelter tons of homeless people. And though we fought the battle to get rid of bed bugs, every night people that with, had bed bugs on them and in their clothing would bring them into the shelter every single night. So I'm a bit of an amateur naturalist and I have all kinds of insect collections from the Sierras and other kinds of areas. And so I said to my staff, you've got to bring me some bed bugs. I don't have any bed bugs in my insect collection. So they brought me this vial of bed bugs who are very hard to kill, by the way. So what I want you to do is to experience this. So I've actually done it out in the seats already and you can feel the twitching. You know that they're there. They're very small, but they're, they're really in here. These are bed bugs. Here's the thing. That's not what we're talking about. That if we stop and magnify this, we take this something that's small that we can barely see and we use the magnifying glass so that we can make it big enough that we might be able to comprehend the smallness of this thing. That is not what we're talking about when Mary magnifies God. Instead, it's the story of Galileo who takes the first telescope that was designed as a toy for kids. And for two years, he has it and he uses it to look into the mountains and to look out over the ocean. And for two years, even though he's an astronomer and studies the night sky, he never takes the telescope out at night. And then after two years, he by chance looks up at the night sky and it blows him away. That that night sky, and this is a rudimentary telescope, this isn't even one that's very powerful, but it just expands Galileo's understanding of just a portion of the sky, even with a toy telescope. This is what we're talking about. This is the idea that there's something so big that just one view of it is not enough to tell the whole story. This concept of magnifying him, what Mary has done is says, Mary, she's got a view of who God is and says, my view of God is this. And we look at it and go, that's wonderful. But the difference is you have a view of God and we need to hear about it. You have had experiences with God and we need to know it. You need to tell us who that God is because you have a view of a different angle, a different facet of who God is, a different perspective of part of his character. You have views of God and you do and you do and you do. This Christmas, magnify the Lord, tell your perspective what you see because Mary's isn't enough. It's only a fraction. It's like a toy telescope. As good as the Magnificat is, we need all of us to magnify the Lord before we start getting even just a fraction of who God is. That's what it means when we magnify him. So know God, get to know him better this Christmas, magnify him, and then finally rejoice. 
rejoice in the fact that the list that Mary has given is a list that is past for her or present in that moment. But at that moment, Jesus had not yet been born. Jesus had not yet lived his life. The gospels were not yet written. Jesus had not yet hung on the cross. All of that has since happened. And you are the beneficiary of that. The last verse I want us to look at is First Peter 1. Um, verses 10 to 12. Uh, I'll just read it. Concerning this salvation, the, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. This part right here. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even the angels long to look. This is a thing the prophets would tell of Jesus's coming, but they didn't get to see it. They didn't get to have it. They didn't get to know it like you do. The angels long to look into these things. The angels in heaven wanted to know what God's plan was and God wasn't fully telling them. And now it's happened and you know, rejoice in that. As we celebrate Christmas, we have the ability to know the rest of the story. Here's Mary rejoicing because she knows the first half. You know the second half. That in our sin and in our shortcomings, God in his great merciful love has sent his son down through this young woman to tell the story, to be the story, to die on the cross, to be our salvation, to be our savior. That's cool. So know God, magnify him, rejoice in him because God loves you. I love, uh, Christina was talking about lyrics and uh, we're about to sing um, a couple more songs, but one of them is Oh Holy Night. And one of my favorite lines of all Christmas songs are, is right there in Christmas carols in that Oh Holy Night, that part where it says, my soul felt its worth. My soul felt its worth. This idea that the God of heaven would send his son who would perish on the cross, a cruel death, so that we might have salvation, experience his mercy, his love, his grace. The reason to rejoice, that my soul might feel its worth. Just as we wrap up, I have to recognize the fact that some of you go, are thinking to yourselves, wait a minute, I have nothing to rejoice, nothing to rejoice in. That right now my life is pretty miserable. There's some tough things going on that I am not sure I want to glorify God right now for what I'm feeling and experiencing. What I want you to understand is that Mary had her world flipped upside down. She was a teenager who was just told that she was going to be pregnant. That's a potential death sentence because it means if, if she hasn't slept with Joseph and now she's pregnant, that means she's, she's out sleeping around and they could put her away, put her to death. All kinds of things could happen. Imagine the conversation of Mary going to her parents and saying, Hey mom and dad, I'm pregnant. It's not Joseph. In fact, it's God. Yeah, that's not going to go over well. God has just sent Mary's world into turmoil. And you know what the first thing she does? She runs to another believer, another woman of faith. And she goes to her and they join together and strengthen each other. If you're going through difficult times right now, 
I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. Know God, glorify God, rejoice in him. But if you're at that point where you don't think you can, even as we go into response time, we will have some of our staff and shepherds and elders come to the front to pray with you, to be available, to talk with you. And if you're saying, you know what? I, I just, I can't rejoice right now. I don't feel it right now. I just feel like I'm distant from God. I feel like things are just so wrong. Then do what Mary did and make haste to meet with someone else of faith and say, I need this right now because my world is shook. Mary's world was shook and this is what she did. May this Christmas season, may that be what you do as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for this young woman and her faithfulness, her ability to just pursue you, know you, study your word. And Lord, ultimately through all of this, um, she uh, is the mother of our savior. And Lord, even as we wrap up this, this morning, that we would just stop and turn to you and give you this season and that we might glorify you, that we might magnify you, that we might rejoice in you. And that Lord, that ultimately this Christmas season would be one where um, others might know you better because of how we have told your story, how we have sung your song. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.